Hey, Freedom Jumpers, welcome to episode 51 of the Agency Freedom Podcast. We take our listeners from captive to indie to market domination. My guests, plural, there's more than one. My guests for this episode are the incomparable Zach Gould and Matt Namoli. And I got to admit, there's a little bit of fanboy in me in this episode because back when I was a itty bitty little baby farmers agent before I even hit uh, the independent side of this game that we're all playing. Uh, Zach and Matt were in my ear uh, with their Bobble On podcast that uh, has since run its course and is no longer uh, online. Uh, But that was the very first independent voice I ever heard in the insurance industry. And I reached out to Zach and Matt a few weeks ago and asked if they'd be willing to hop on and uh, share some of their story and the inspiration for what they did with Bobble On and uh, what they did with their agency GNN before they, spoiler alert, made the decision uh, to sell to a much larger agency. And they're still active. They're still in the agency game. They're still doing their thing. So this is a great episode. I'm really glad with how the conversation turned out. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So uh, this is uh, the end of our first year uh, in publication. Uh, Next episode begins our second year in existence as a podcast. So we made it uh, a year. This is, is fantastic. I really appreciate the opportunity that you have given me to speak into your life and your agency. It's a privilege. I do not take it lightly. Uh, Thanks for being along for the ride and being a part of this agency freedom story that we are all writing. So before we jump in, just uh, same three requests, subscribe, drop a review and share AFP with somebody in your circle who needs what we are talking about. I've got some really cool things planned for us in the second year of existence, and I look forward to sharing that with you. That's it for now. Let's jump into episode 51 with Zach Gold and Matt Namoli. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry, those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. There is so much I wish I would have known before I made the freedom jump to the independent side. I mean, even now, I feel like I'm learning something new every single month. We're all about helping insurance agency owners and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. My team and I replaced six years of captive agency revenue in 17 months with Riskwell. 17 months, man. It's crazy. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and what I've learned along the way. We lay out a blueprint of how to make your freedom jump from captive to indie to market domination. I'm bringing you colleagues from markets across the country with dozens of different specialties. They're eager to share their stories and best practices with you. I'm your host, James Jenkins. Welcome to Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. I think either one of us, uh, neither one of us really enjoys agendas anyways. Agendas are completely overrated. Yes. No, so the, uh, the conversation, Matt, you walked into, we were basically just, you know, recapping my shameless fandom of Babylon and uh, catching up to, you know, what is now getting more and more ancient history as we go on. It's just like, wait a second, you guys have been off the air for three years? It's been awesome. 
<laughs> it's like it's so weird to think how quickly time is passing. Um, yeah, at least two years. Time is flying. Was it was it two or three? I don't remember. I know that I, I you know had a little memorial service uh, for Bob Alon <laughs> when I realized there weren't going to be any more new episodes. Oh, what um, I know but, is Matt's had two kids and gotten married since our last episode, so it's been a little while. Man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, this I gotta say is kind of surreal. It's really cool for me. Uh, I did shake things up a little bit. Uh, I was going to have this be the one year episode, but honest to God, I just can't help myself. I'm going to drop this one a week from uh, Friday. You guys are going to be episode number 50, the big five zero. All right. Um, so yeah. Hey, uh, Freedom Jumpers, you might not know these guys because they're doing other things now. They're not nearly as concerned about being insurance celebrities uh, as, as they were a couple of years ago. Not that you were ever concerned about that, but you know, celebrity was thrust upon you. Uh, mm. So yeah, Zach Gold and Matt Namoli, uh, they are uh, now with the Hilb Group, uh, their former agency, GNN, uh, which those two last names, Gould and Namoli, GNN Insurance, uh, they sold to the Hilb Group and are now part of uh, that organization, which I'm sure we'll get into uh, later in the conversation. Uh, but Zach and Matt, thank you for joining me on AFP. Thanks for great, having us. Great job with the pronunciation too. I mean, two for two, Matt, we don't hear that often. Uh, I haven't. I don't know if we've ever heard that. I'm not sure okay. if uh, Gould and Namoli has ever been pronounced correctly, but I, I'm not surprised James got it. Well, I mean, at this point, let's be honest. If I mess up the pronunciation of your name after hearing literally every episode you ever recorded of your podcast, where I've probably heard your name many hundreds of times, I should just hang up the mic and stop doing this podcast entirely. <laughs> um, but... It's funny hey. you said, James, uh, GNN, because, you know, for like nine, 10, 10 years, that's all we knew. That's all we went by. And, uh, you know, during the transaction with Hilb, you know, all we saw was Gould Namoli Partners LLC, because back, you know, back in 2010 or 2009, when we originally formed the company, that was the, uh, the, the legal entity. Mm-hmm. And for a second, like, I was like, whoa, 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 who are they? Like, who are those guys? We're GNN. It's just so funny. Like, ever since, it's, that's all we see. Now, it's, it's really crazy for me to be here with you guys because I've never been with both of you at the same time. I've met each of you in San Diego as a, oh, hi, Mr. Gold. Hi, can I shake your hand? Like sort of situation. It, looking back on it now, I realize how much you are made uncomfortable by that sort of thought and feeling of you know being in your presence. But uh, other people have done insurance podcasts before Babylon, but to me... Babylon is the OG insurance podcast because it's the first one that I ever listened to back when I was a captive agent, a wee lad in the farmer's land back before the IA world. Uh, You guys introduced everything that I now know, the world that I live in. I first heard about this world from the two of you. So I just got to say, first off, it's really cool to be sitting here. It's like, wait a second. This is actually happening. Like the guys that taught me about the IA world two years before I ever joined the IA world, here we are. So mm. it's really That's cool. That's so cool. That's Man. so cool to hear. Thanks for sharing. Dude, um, th- this conversation is going to be a little bit scattered just because I'm going to ask some open-ended questions and uh, you guys are going to do whatever you do with it. Uh, part of not having an agenda is maybe being a little bit scattered from time to time, but here we go. Uh, I wanted to have a little bit of a historical narrative for people that don't have any idea who you are, uh, that don't understand your contribution to the industry, to the IA channel specifically, because 
there's a, a whole group of people that cut their teeth on Babylon. Uh, and you guys were the lens that a lot of people saw the industry and specifically the IA channel through. Uh, walk me through your experience pre-Babylon. Like you guys are in the industry, you're doing your thing at Liberty, and you get up to the point where it's like, hey, you know what? We should do a podcast. Because back then, that was not the thing. Like you didn't have... 48,000 insurance podcasts like we do now, which, I mean, that's another subject for a different day. But, you know, back in the day, there wasn't that much to choose from in the zeitgeist if you wanted to listen to a podcast from our industry. So go back mm -hmm. to like when you guys started together and you're doing your Liberty thing, then you found GNN and then from there mm -hmm. to the launch of Babylon. Well, I'll, I'll frame it and then Zach will improve it. I think that's uh, that's been our that's been our agenda, our, our dynamic for many years. I frame it, Zach improves it, so um, I'll give it a shot. But I, I kind of, in, in summary, trying to cap, uh, capture 10, 12, whatever years is kind of challenging and, mm -hmm. and succinctly. But I would I would frame it in three major phases. The first phase was the launch of GNN after Zach and I met each other at Liberty and were competitors and then friends and then decided to go independent, not knowing what that meant, did it. The first five years is that first phase, like kind of getting off the ground, figuring out where we're going to get business from, identifying you know the niche, figuring out like, okay, how many people can we network with? How many leads can we create? How many sales? And just kind of throwing everything out the wall, not really understanding and being like you know good business owners, just good insurance salesman, really. That was really mm -hmm. what we were able to do the first five years. The second phase was like really kind of the growth of our business acumen, per se. Uh, you know, we were implemented a system. We hired a, a facilitator. We invested in coaching. We did a lot of stuff to kind of better ourselves as business owners. And that sort of elevated us out, out of the sales service insurance agent world and sort of allowed us to, to really look at the, look at the business top down. You know, focus on vision, strategy, key relationships, culture, and managing our managers, really kind of building an infrastructure internally so the company could continue to scale the next three to five years. And then the third phase was when we kind of like did that, a byproduct of that was like we had more time. We had more, you know, opportunity. We wanted to give back and, and, and we had been focused head down years back for so long. Um, we started talking about our success. We started talking about our journey uh, within the independent channel. And, you know, one thing turned into another. We started a video series and we ran a vlog. We did a podcast. We did a lot of speaking around the country. We helped a ton of agencies build a, a similar system. And I'd say that those are the three major phases. Um, again, though, Zach uh, will edit and uh, improve as he does. It's funny, like when you talk about like framing things, like I'm the most unhandy man in the world. So I'm just, I'm a better, like that doesn't look straight kind of person, which is kind of what Matt's talking about. So I'll dive into one specific part though. Um, we have a lot of, I would say like, I wonder if that was the catalyst. I wonder if this was the catalyst, but I know Matt and I can point to one particular point when um, we had already, uh, we were, so when Matt talked about the coaching part, um, we were $300,000 in debt when we hired our coach, just to be clear. Like we were maybe what you would look at as a national success story. Like we were growing like a weed. Everything was great. We're you know, popping champagne on Fridays with the team. Things are good. But we were like secretly behind closed doors. Matt and I were like, what are we doing wrong? Like how are mm -hmm. we growing so fast but not growing profitably? And I think that's what a lot of people can relate to in their first business is that's not really a focus. You just really focus on growing. If you focus on profits, it's, I don't know. I don't know if that works in your first business. But we hired a coach, like Matt said, we got out of that. 
And what happened, the, the catalyst of this whole Babylon thing was actually Nick Ayers. Uh, Matt and I were always pretty big into Facebook and other kind of social media uh, stuff. We just love doing it. Uh, we love highlighting our referral partners and stuff of that nature. Um, and we'll get into that later. But Nick Ayers reached out to us and was like, would you be on this um, podcast? And like, it was 2017, Matt, I think. And yeah. uh, we said, sure. And um, we didn't know where he was or who he was. Uh, we had no idea. And uh, turn, he said, yeah, come on, uh, you know, uh, six o'clock. We're like, perfect. Awesome. Turns out that's Pacific time. So it was 9 p.m. our time. And we had no idea. We didn't know it was video either. We had no idea what was going on. Matt yeah. showed up in his CrossFit outfit. He had just finished a workout. Yeah, it was still uh, sweaty. <laughs> we had no idea what was going on. But that video Nick told us was the most watched video IAOA ever did. And that really showed us like, well, there's this huge community that we didn't know about and we didn't know we could support and help. And that really led Matt and I into diving into the independent channel and saying, how can we help you more? Because I thought mm -hmm. you guys were all doing this. I thought we were just like, like one of the many, but we weren't. We were hmm. different. And it was Collabcast episode seven. And you're, you're dead on. That improved the framing. Well done. I, I'm trying to find it right now. If it looks like I wasn't paying attention, I was. I was just looking on Apple Podcasts, and I can't locate it. Is it still on there? It's it's on YouTube, I believe, is where it's it, it's located now. But I think with everything okay. going on. But basically, what all Matt and I did for like an hour and a half was just make fun of each other, um, talk about referral partners. Like we we treated it like a joke. We had mm -hmm. Matt. I I I didn't know who was going to watch this thing. I didn't know what IAOA was. I don't know. We had no idea, and we thought it was just a few people that were on the uh, on that call with us. Um, and yeah, no, you're right. And then I think that opened our eyes to the value that we could bring to a channel that we uh, thought was a lot smaller than it really was. Mm. Um, and then you know it, it gets addicting when you create impact and you and you're helping other people, and then you're you're seeing them win. Man, you just want to do more of that. Uh, I think that kind of fueled fueled our passion to help independent agents. So. What you're saying is Babylon happened completely by accident, that you, you just kind of said, hey, you know what, we should do one of these. Yeah, I mean, the Babylon experience um, was a little bit done on necessity because Matt and I were, what did we have, Matt, 20, 30 phone calls a week combined of like just free consulting phone calls. No. And it was getting really annoying because it was, it was we're helping, but no. it was a lot of one-off calls and a lot of like, catching up trying to figure out who these people were and then trying to offer advice and then you're on to the next call and we're like matt and i're like well we're not even really focused on our business and growing so we got to formalize this a little bit and we got to yeah. package it in a library so we opened a consulting arm to help people formally and um, we basically charged what it cost to run the company just so we could break even and then we hosted a podcast and we told everybody when we were done with that podcast we're just going to keep it there just so you can reference it like a library and that's pretty much what we did and James, to clarify, Babylon started as a catchphrase. It wasn't a, uh, a business or a brand or anything like that. It was uh, mm -hmm. our first sort of big splash into marketing was we, we, we bought 100 bobbleheads of our referral partners, right? And, yep. and we gave them all out. And then that caught on and we made 1,200 over six or seven years. And so we were speaking about that on stage and Babylon was just sort of like a funny catchphrase that caught on and people would say. And then we had the whole audiences say it. And it was just kind of like a fun thing to do. So... When we started the podcast, when we started the consulting arm, it just made sense to maintain that brand and keep continue it on. Hmm. Plus, I kind of like the verb of it. You know, it was well, actionable. What's funny about okay, Babylon, too, right. is, Matt, I don't know if you remember, but like 
we had someone who was an advisor of sorts at the time, and she was trying to um, uh, tell us to say that the phrase should be you've been sauced or like the sauce of whatever it was. <laughs> and we were going to like leave behind like packages of ketchup and mustard as like a joke or something. And uh, I think <laughs> that was a true story. And Matt and wow. I, like, I forget, it doesn't matter who, but one of us just was like, we should, we should relate it back to the bobblehead and bobble on just kind of came. And so literally we did a hashtag bobble on. So we told our referral partners, like Matt said, when you got a bobblehead, just put a hashtag bobble on so we can find it. And then we'll, we'll post it on our stuff. And that's how Babylon came around. Hmm. No, I, I'm glad you guys told the story because as any good super fan would be able to tell you, yeah, of course I knew where the name came from. Cause that, I mean, that was, gosh, how many times you guys talk about that and, and that whole marketing campaign that kind of opened your eyes to, well, wait a second. No, this worked really well. We need to do more of this. No, mm. And I mean, that's how every entrepreneur is, right? You stumble onto something completely by accident and it just blows up like dynamite. You go, wait a second, I'm going to do this again and again and again. You know, the, it's, it's really interesting to hear because I didn't realize that was the order of operations, how the, you guys, you know, the word got out that you give good advice and that you were able to help people with their agencies and you got tired of fielding the phone calls and it wasn't, you know, profitable for your main business operations. So you started a consulting company and the podcast was, you know, the, in the continuum of the consulting company. That is precisely what agency freedom is, except that the podcast came first and the consulting company is second, uh, specifically with the, the idea of helping people make the jump uh, from the captive to the uh, independent world and also helping people that are already over here, early stage principles for the most part. You know, somebody who's been mm -hmm. doing this for 10 years may not have that much of a need to even talk to me from a consulting perspective. But if you're in the first, you know, two, three, four years, you probably do. There's probably a lot we can help with. I had no mm. idea that the journey was uh, was that um, mm. similar. That's that's mm. really cool to hear. Mm. Well, given um, given your background, James, too, and your journey, it sounds like this is a very very it's a very fitting consulting sort of offer and value you can provide because you did it, you walked it, you 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 know it, you know the challenges, you know the specific challenges that a captive runs into, and yeah. what to avoid, what pitfalls to avoid, and what contracts to avoid, what clusters to avoid, etc. No, it's like I'm looking back at my first six months from the moment that I told farmers, I'm selling my agency, I'm out of here, you guys suck. Uh, obviously, that was not the exact words that were used, but the sentiment was, all right, you guys burned the bridge. I didn't burn the bridge. You're the ones who set it on fire. Uh, and, you know, migrating from that and figuring out, okay, now what? Because uh, I told them I was selling the agency before I had any idea that SIAA was where I was going to land. Uh, and all of those things. But, you know, I look back at our first 18 months ago, man, what if there was a roadmap? What if there was some way that I didn't have to figure all of this out on my own? Um, I think a lot of people out there that I'm able to help now are probably going to be more successful than me because they're able to get good advice early enough to be actionable. And <laughs> I was just making it up as I went along the first probably two years. I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, oh, sure, yeah. we'll do that. Oh, that, that sounds good. Yeah, there was no strategic plan. I think a lot um, but, of our, a lot of the most successful businesses um, are formed to serve our prior selves and help our past self. Mm -hmm. And you know, Babylon was done that way. Agency Freedom done sound done that way. And when you go back, it, we're always trying to help our former selves because we we feel pain and mm -hmm. we want to alleviate pain for other people. And that's why when you open one of these companies like Agency Freedom and like we did at Babylon, you you feel good about the people use it. 
um, you just so happen to make a profit, but you really feel good about it because you're like, good, I helped somebody. Uh, yeah. It's a good thing. Well, the, the longer I do this, and you guys obviously have discovered this because, I mean, you've been very <clears throat> successful. You know, when you're early on and you're scraping two pennies together just to get some heat in the office, money is so important. And, and you think so much about how am I going to make this next dollar and how am I going to pay the bills and make payroll this month? And then once you've been doing it successfully for a little while, you realize what every wealthy person already knows. Money is nothing but a tool. If you're chasing money, you're living life wrong because, I mean, and obviously there's a certain amount of, yeah, whatever, James, you've been doing this for three years now. It's easy for you to say money is just a tool. If you, if you have a little bit of money, it's easier to say that. But the perspective that comes with that of, wait a second, there's so many different ways to make money especially in the economy now that we have. I mean, the gig economy and all these side hustles and consulting and 10,000 different varieties, money has never been easier to acquire. But making a difference, having an impact, like you said, that's absolutely the point, right? What you guys are yeah. doing now, even being on this call with me right now, you are spending some of your valuable time to help our listeners out there in Freedom Jumper land, you know, get something from this, even if it's nothing more than a respite from their day where they get to enjoy, you know, 45 minutes of conversation uh, from, from their peers. I, I want to switch gears just a little bit and ask about the other side of that coin. You guys do the Babylon thing. You are doing it continuously with a consulting practice as well as running GNN very successfully, I might add. I'm going to circle back to the GNN thing after this. At what point did you realize wait a second, this Babylon podcast thing has a natural uh, culmination where you realize, you know what? I think we're done after episode X, whatever X is. I'm still looking for the episodes. I'm going to find them. They're out there somewhere. Uh, if I do, I'll put them in the show notes for you guys so you don't have to spend 20 minutes looking like I did. Um, but at, at what point did you realize this thing has a stopping point and we're getting close to it? Mm. Two things. One, uh, we started investigating what a transaction would look like and what it would look like to partner with a much larger firm and what our value of our company was, et cetera. And so kind of going down that road, identifying, you know, potential acquirers and kind of becoming more educated in that space, um, you know, opened up a reality we had, we didn't think was, was going to come that soon. And so that did influence, you know, sort of the end of the, of, of the, of the podcast itself, because, you know, not having that true independence, you know, and being part of a larger firm kind of changes things slightly. I'd also argue, though, that like we kind of stayed true to the reason we started it. And um, for us, I'm not to speak for both of us, but for us, uh, it mattered a lot about the work we were doing and the conversations that Zach and I were having. If we were offering value that we knew would really benefit agents, we'd keep doing it. And if we weren't, we'd wouldn't want to force the issue. We wouldn't want to just change our, our, our model, start having a ton of people on, which most good podcasts do. Hence what you're doing and, and what a lot of other podcasts do. They have, they invite guests. And they have, we had a different model. It was just Zach and I having conversations about uh, different topics of business and things that work for us and failures and successes, et cetera. And so when we got through a lot of the content that we wanted to talk about, got to a point where it's like, well, we don't want to force the issue. We also want to like leave on a high note. We don't want to do the Seinfeld, you know, and end with a, with a bang. We don't want to just kind of peter out. Everybody wants yeah. to be, um, you know, Peyton Manning 
or John Elway, where you leave as a champion, where you leave on the top. You're not the guy who's like, I'm going to stick around for another year and see what happens. And then you just tarnish your legacy because you put out something less than the great stuff you had before because you're, you know, forcing it or something. Yeah. And I, that's what makes me really interesting to see what this Tom Brady season is going to be like, to be frank. I, I, I think that, um, I'm not going to comment on it was a good decision or a bad decision. I'll, I'll let his work stand for it. You know what I mean? We'll see what happens with Tampa mm-hmm. Bay this year. But to Matt's point, like we looked at each other a week or two before that last episode and we're like, I think we're good. And I think that's what makes Matt and I a little, um, I don't want to say different, but you know, we're different than every entrepreneur out there. Everyone has their own journey, right? Yep. Well, Matt and I throughout our careers have been okay with a start and an end of a certain chapter. We've been okay putting a putting a book in and saying, I want to check out what's behind this other door because this door, kind of bored, um, kind of bored with it, and we're in a good spot. And the clients that we had from Babylon, like we made it pretty clear that we were kind of stopping this, and we also made it pretty clear that the conversation isn't over. You can call us anytime and chat about anything you want, but the formalized will come down and see you. It's it's uh, that ship has sailed. And yeah. we're happy to report that the majority of Babylon clients still keep in touch with Matt and I, and we're blown away at some of the revenue some of these companies are doing. It absolutely fires me up to see, like you know, random texts Matt and I get um, from a guy named Kenny, who's just like, "I've never had more profits in this year, and our team's growing, and we're hiring, and this that." It's just awesome. Uh, it's just, it was an incredible yeah. run. Love it. There's nothing that feels better than. Uh, seeing other agency owners thriving and knowing that we had even 1%, you know, of an impact and a positive influence on their, on their success and not just thriving in sense of financials, but their ability to have more of their life for them. Uh, you know, more, more of their personal, more of their family, more of their spiritual, more of everything and do well financially. And I think there's, there's a misnomer that there's the, you know, has to be a, a push and pull again off that and an, yep. an imbalance per se. And so I think it's, it's really nice to see that. You definitely are always giving something up with whatever you're chasing, you know, and I forget who it was that said it. It's been a couple of years ago, you know, every moment of every day, every decision that you make to do something is simultaneously a decision to not do everything else in that moment, whatever your hand is on, whatever your, your focus is on, you're also actively choosing to not focus on literally all the other things, your family, your hobby, even, you know, if it's work, if you're with your family, you're actively choosing to not be working right now. And just having that mindset of whatever you're doing, just make sure it's intentional. A dead fish floats downstream. You don't have to put any effort in to float downstream. Just that's, that'll stick with me for the rest of my life. I don't know where I was going with that, but I think that's, you know, something to be, you know, mindful of. No, you're going downstream. We like it. (laughs) Okay. So a lot of people want to hear your story with uh, Hilb Group and the process of, you know, to your point, you see, we've done this GNN thing. We've had tremendous success. Uh, We've, we've, you know, reached our goal. We've decided, hey, this has gone as far as it needs to go. Let's do the next thing now. Let's transition into the next chapter. And you know, reposition some goals and maybe allow some other things, some some modicum of independence. Because as you said, when you become a part of a large organization, uh, you're not 
the the top of the pyramid, so to speak, anymore. You're somewhere in the middle of a much larger pyramid. Uh, what is that process like inside your head? Not necessarily process-wise, because and we can get into the logistics of exactly how an acquisition happens and you know best practices you might have for our freedom jumpers on how to approach a potential acquisition by a much larger company, whether it's a national group like you know Aon, Lockton, Brown and Brown, Gallagher, whatever. Uh, Hill, I see, is more of a super regional. Uh, they're they're not an Aon, but they're also significantly larger than most other independent brokers. Uh, so, anyways, I'm getting ahead of myself. The process where you go, hey, you know what? Maybe we don't do GNN forever. Maybe we do allow ourselves to be acquired by somebody else. What was that like? Yeah. It- I think that starting with the end in mind is always a good idea and important in any project, any journey you're on, figuring out, all right, are there some non-negotiables? Is there something I need to get to before I'm done? Or Because um, otherwise, you're just sort of aimlessly moving, right? You don't really have like a, a star that you're kind of guiding, you know, guiding towards. Uh, and for us, like from day one back in 2010... We didn't start the agency to leave to our kids. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Just wasn't a legacy play. It was uh, very much uh, let's grow this business as much as we can, have as much fun as we possibly can, and eventually it'll be time to sell it. And that was the time. And we decided we wanted wind behind us when that was the not just branding wind. I mean, you know, the, the brand was doing really well, but growth and, and new business sales and. Uh, culture and all those things were working really well at GNN, and uh, we didn't want to wait and 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 let that change down the road or potentially run into a problem either in the marketplace that we couldn't control or something internally that we just didn't att- uh, you know give enough attention to. We we just knew that it was the right time, um, and so you know we didn't go into it just saying this is the time to sell, but we were both open to it, and we started conversations of like what what's our business worth. You know, who, who are the players? What would the process look like? How do we maximize this? There's some kind of big concerns and fears about selling. You need to make sure we can overcome those before we feel comfortable enough moving forward. And it was just sort of a day-by-day thing where, you know, Zach and I evaluated and, and discussed and had tons of conversations and back and forths and uh, eventually got to the point where all of our major fears were removed. We had no ego uh, wrapped up in the, in the business ownership component. And we knew it was the right time. Hey, Freedom Jumper. Are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who isn't, right? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com. Uh, better said, Matt had a 10-year contract with me and it was expiring. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you know, Matt oh, hit man. it on the head. Now, I'll, I'll add a little bit to it. I think that you know, as the entrepreneur listening to this podcast might say, I would never sell. The entrepreneur might say, um, that's not me. And that's fine. 
I think as an entrepreneur, if you don't know, like Matt said, where you're trying to go, the problem is you might get there. Like you, you need to have some kind of idea where you're trying to go. And Matt and I had a relative idea of what we wanted to do. We got there a little quicker than we expected, to be frank. And, and it, was a, it was a good moment. And we, we decided to try to make the best of it. Um, we think we chose the right partner. We like, we like working with the Hill Group. Matt and I, you know, the rumor that we heard very loudly was they're leaving, they're doing X, Y, and Z. Well, now we are almost, you know, three years later and we're still in the same seats. We're still doing the same thing. We're still leading the team. We're still having fun. You know, we're still laughing with each other. And, you know, Matt and I still like to be on the golf course together. You know, like it, there's the thing that I'm most proud of in the sale is that Matt and I are still friends. We're still running stuff. We're still working together. I think that would be the biggest failure for me is if we just got some money in the end and then Matt and I weren't like working together. I think that to me like was a little bit of an unacceptable outcome. Um, whereas some businesses they have to sell because eventually like one partner really wants to go over here, the other partner really wants to go over there and they're just button heads all day. Uh, you know, I'm glad that wasn't the outcome, but I don't know, Maddie, if we would have held on to over 10 more years, I don't know, maybe that was the outcome that was going to happen. Um, so yeah, you know. I mean, personal things happen, you know, family related things, things you can't control. And that applies uh, downward pressure on the relationship. If the vision or strategy or outcomes you're looking for is different from one another, even, even slightly different, they don't have to be dramatic, you know, they just have to be slightly different to create the friction that kind of erodes the, the, the positivity that comes with a good growing relationship. Well, and you know what they say about tiny gradual changes over time. You know, if there's a 1% deviation on a weekly basis, well, what happens one year from now? Well, you're 50% away uh, from something. So, I mean, when you're making these decisions in, in light of the bigger picture, like you said, reverse engineering, where do you want this thing to be? What, what's the end look like? And, you know, I speak for myself only in that I have no idea. I don't have mm. a clue. And I tell you, you know, a year ago me, 18 months ago, me said, I'm not going to sell. This is going to be a generational thing. And I'm going to have my kids have the opportunity to step into it if they want to. I'm definitely not going to be the dad who puts that expectation on their kids. Like that would be an absolute jerk move uh, to, to poison the water of your kids' hopes and dreams. That's definitely going to be me. Uh, but I like the idea of them having the option of stepping into it if they want to. But then obviously you got to look at it and go, wait a second, we only get one life. My kids only have one childhood. You know, my, my son is five, my daughter's two and a half. They're only five and two and a half once. If we get the opportunity, let's say three years from now, five years from now, somebody comes along and says, hey, have you ever thought about selling? And I said, yeah, I'll sell. My number is X, just some fat, stupid, ridiculous number. And they say, okay, I'll pay that. And I say, oops. <laughs> I told him a really fat number thinking, okay, well, if I get this number, I can exit. Sure. I'll, I'll do something else with my time. And somebody comes with that number, you know, 5X, 7X, gross annual revenue, something ridiculous. What do, what do you do next? What happens when somebody comes with a big checkbook and says, you want to sell? And you go, wait a second, what can I do with $25 million? You know, what can I, well, let's say it's 10 years from now and our annual revenue is, is 25 million. When they come and say, hey, we're going to give you 4X and you've got a three-year sunset. We're going to give you a lump sum, $120 million pre-tax. Well, that changes everything. That's, that is a three generations worth of play. Uh, the, the entire 
life cycle of not just our family, but everybody on our team. Because I'm sure you guys did something similar with your team where you get a nice big payday. Everybody on your team is having some kind of participation in that windfall. Maybe it's just a nice big bonus check, but I know the way you guys operate. Everybody got paid when you got paid in some form Matt, or fashion. Matt, uh, Matt made sure I was cut in, which was kind of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I, you make an excellent point because just about everybody that's listening to this podcast has it in their head, I'm never going to sell. I'm going to do mm-hmm. this forever. And I say that because that was me as recently as a year ago. I'm realistic and I know that I become more realistic the longer this goes on, but it sounds like well, James, you, you have you have to have that mindset if you're early on, because if you're if you're already even thinking about selling, you're not focusing all every every possible ounce of energy into growing the business. So yeah. true. Yeah. So it, 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 yeah, we felt that. I mean, we early on we weren't like, hey, this is a defined date or this is a defined number. It was yeah. just, are we okay with this? Before we go into business together, are you going to try to leave this to your grandkids? And I'm trying to exit, and when we hit a certain level, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know that friend you have that like never changes their mind, that is like hard headed and um, sees the world one way and looks for that news and only sees the world one way. Well, you can't run a business that way. You, you just can't. And so, James, you in, in your career or someone 20 years in, you got to take the meeting. You just yeah. got to take the meeting and just learn and you got to understand. And Matt and I, what Matt, a year and a half, give or take, I don't know how many, how long we did it, but we took a lot of meetings and we just met a lot of people and we got behind closed doors and we, we chatted with a lot of people who were on the other side. We spent a lot of time just understanding what life would look like. And then we made the decision. Um, this wasn't a, uh, a money play per se. It was more of like, okay, I, I can see what life looks like on the other side and and, and, and financially things are working out. Um, the other thing I would think about just in general, you bring up a really good point about having the end in mind. And I don't think that's necessary as we all agree, but having a vision board is, like having an understanding of what you want life to look like. And if you don't think you're on the path to get to the life that you want to look like, well, you got to change the path. You can't be so hard headed and be like, I'll just put my head down and I'll get there because you won't. Hmm. Boy, that is a heavy statement. Hope somebody's rewinding that and listening to the last 30 seconds again because, wow, that is, you know, the vision board thing is, is definitely something a lot of people talk about. Not that many people actually do where you, you know, you go to Walmart and buy the poster board and the craft glue from the school supplies aisle and then, you know, pick up three or four magazines and, you know, go and actually do a real vision board where you're I have mine cutting right stuff there. out. Mine's right there. And it's from when, uh, when Matt and I were one year in. Mm. I have it up on my, my office uh, mounted because it's a great reminder. And looking up there, just to be clear, I think it was like two or three years in, in the bottom right hand corner, um, it says, um, it says like, let's make today fun. Mm. And that was one of the things like I put on there. So vision board doesn't have to be so serious, but like, I realized like, if I'm going to work with Maddie, like one of my best friends, like I got to make this company fun. We got to enjoy what the heck we do. So, you know, vision boards, I think are important and you can look up, you can find so many great articles about it. Matt and I spent a lot of time trying to envision what do we want this like? Cause you, you're right. You only got one chance at this. Might as well enjoy it. Absolutely. I also think that vision boards is a creative way of uh, getting people to just set goals. And most people don't set goals at all, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annually, 
three year, 10 year, most people just don't set them. I know you do James, but most people don't set goals. They don't write them down. And a vision board is a really creative, you know, uh, aesthetic way of, of being able to put your goals somewhere to see them. I I get the, like the vision of it, the, like the see it to like understand, feel it more. But Mm -hmm. I think it, it, it accomplishes the mission. If you put your goals on paper and you look at them all every single day or at least every week, um, and update them as you go. So one of the things that you guys have done such a really good job about historically, and from the moment that I started following you on because of the podcast and then on social and you know reading your your blog on your website and just seeing what your company and your team are up to, uh, so much of what you've been able to accomplish is because you were able to find good people, fire them up on the mission that you wanted them to come join you on. And then you retain them and bring them along on this this voyage, this adventure that you guys are on. I don't know what the makeup of your team has evolved over the years, but judging from a quick look at your website and just from faces that I see, you know, over the years, I was like, oh, I think I've seen that person three or four years ago. Like, I got to think your team member retention is really strong. So you guys are doing some amazing things there as far as establishing a strong vision and values and culture and whatnot. Let's talk about that for just a little bit. Uh, I'd love to hear from both of you on this because I imagine your approaches are, are probably, you know, you know, complimentary, but probably very different. Um, how you go about developing and establishing such a strong culture uh, and, and the team environment. Mm. Yeah, I think, you know, we learned a lot from our failures. Um, you know, early on, uh, we were, you know, dynamic and sold people on, you know, why that, you know, where we're headed and you should be on the team too. And let's go, let's go run through walls and, and go, you know, create some awesome things together. And I think that gets people excited to get on the team, but you're not necessarily getting the right people on the team. And then you're not necessarily able to maintain that excitement long-term. I think where we really turn the corner with employee retention, you know, hiring the right people, et cetera, is when we, we did establish what core values we, we wanted to set by, what principles we were going to live by and, and hire by and fire by and evaluate by. And once we did that, it gave us the filter to hire the right people, uh, the, the people that we wanted to surround ourselves with. So we made less poor hires up front. We also defended that culture through that core value, those core values. So if, if, if someone wasn't living up to those core values, letting them go to find a place where their core values match up better, quicker, really preserve the culture that, that we had established. The longer that they stay on the team, the more infectious it gets and deteriorates long term. So um, that, that was a big piece. And then just organizationally being able to cast a vision specifically of where we're going to be in three years and, and where we're headed in 10, constantly updating that on a quarterly basis, sharing that with the entire team is a super important piece because you just hire somebody up front and tell them this is where we're headed. And then you don't kind of continue to let them know this is where we're, we are. This is what we learned. This is where we're headed again. We're recalibrated and pivoted. They're going to lose the enthusiasm, the excitement. They're going to lose the focus. And so I think it's a combination of the core values to find out who you really should be on the team and vision casting. Mm. Yeah, I'll add a a real brief thing that because I I agree with Matt just said. I think one thing that Matt and I were blessed with that is, is growth is sexy. Growth just flat out is it's a sexy place to be around. And if you're an insurance agency that focuses a ton on retention, you're just not as fun. Retention's important. Serving your clients is important. But 
if it's rephrased in some kind of growth manner and if you really have a growth mindset as a company, it's just a more fun company to work with. Mm-hmm. It sounds like more, you're going to make more money. It sounds like there's more raises. It sounds like more people are coming. It sounds like more locations. It sounds like company trips. It sounds like companies that kind of that the insurance companies come in. They want to see you. They're excited because you know they want to impress you because business is coming. So we had the benefit that Matt and I really both at our core focused on growth, and that that stemmed through the company. Sounds like winning. It does sound like winning. You know, we made the decision to completely revamp our our compensation model effective January 1, where we don't pay renewal commissions anymore of any kind. Uh, We have a base, and then everybody who is in any kind of a sales role, even if it's an account manager, uh, they're compensated based on net revenue growth of their department. Uh, So obviously, we all know renewals and, and residual income is a big factor in the net revenue growth, but it's a combination of new business and retention. So uh, when you're talking about, you know, putting it in the lens of growth, and I'm thinking, huh, maybe I did that one right. It sounds like that might be the case. Mm. Because if, if you can repackage retention in terms of net revenue growth, I think it's easier for people to see that and, and feel it. And obviously on their paycheck, when they look at their bank statement. Well, so. I think in general, James, if you can ever, if you can ever align the owner's goals with the employee's goals, you're hitting on something. Yeah. And for anyone that's like, you know, a year in or thinking of making the jump or whatever, there's so many agents out there with questions about comp comp plans and strategies and I mean, the laundry, 150 different items people have questions on. But if you can align your goals with your team's goals in general, you're going to win. That's great advice. Absolutely. And it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you're personal or commercial, what your geographic market is, you know, how long you've been around, whether you're a startup or you've been doing this for 25 years. That is universally true. Uh, aligning the objectives of your team members with the executives or the single executive of theirs. If you're like me and there's only one, uh, man, that's, that's rock solid. Um, the, the process of the actual acquisition, you know, you guys decide... Hey, you know what? There's a logical endpoint here. Um, I'd love to hear your story of one. How did you decide on the group that you decided? Obviously, you're currently with the Hill Group. Uh, I don't really know much about them other than what I've learned through you guys. And I went to their website when I saw the announcement. I was like, Hill Group? I've never heard of them. And you know, we're, this doesn't need to be a, a, a necessarily a commercial or promotion for them. If you want to make it, it's your airtime. Do whatever you want with it. Uh, but I'd love to hear your thought process on selecting the right suitor and then any advice you have for somebody who's going through the prospect of potentially being acquired. If there's anything you'd do differently again if you went through this again, which, you know, obviously you're part of Hilb now, so you probably aren't ever going to be through another acquisition. Uh, but uh, talk about that. What's, what was your experience like? Well, if, I, if, if, if either Zach or I ever sound like we're going to uh, deliver a commercial, uh, please punch me in the nose uh, quickly. Uh, for, for us, you know, there were a lot of factors. Uh, I don't want to dive too, too much into it because I think the granularity of this isn't as important as the big picture. But, mm-hmm. I agree. Um, you know, and all deal value matters, you know, uh, what, what number the business is valued at matters. But the deal structure is something that we weren't aware of when we started the process. We were just more like, you know, we thought that you sell your business, and this is back 
four, five years ago, we thought when you sell your business, you get X amount of money and then you're kind of like either working for the, the man or you're, you're out completely. It was too um, singular and it wasn't as dynamic as what we realized it, it actually could be. And so the deal structure in terms of like um, if you're getting stock in, in the purchase versus just cash and if you are getting stock, you know, what's the likelihood that stock continues to grow rapidly and then evaluating the buyer based on where they are in their journey, not just where you are and what they're willing to pay you up front. And Hill was attractive to us in that sense because they were, you know, 200 million or so in revenue, which is big, but still super small compared to the Hill, the, the hubs and Akershers and, and Gallagher's and Brown and Brown's of the world. And so we knew that they had a great trajectory and a path that was pretty promising. And so grabbing stock in that type of a company at that time made sense. And then, you know, the fear of not um, capitalizing on future growth, either EBITDA growth or revenue growth, uh, was a real fear, a real reason why we, all, we wouldn't have wanted to sell. And being able to have earnout structures where, you know, there's the, the, the ability to continue to capitalize down the road on continued growth allowed us to feel like, all right, we're, 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 we're going to still focus on growth. We're going to still focus on hitting goals. We're not just going to be plugging away and middle management, yada, yada. And so it gave us like the upfront security and chips off the table, but also the, the, the goals and the carrots that we kind of, you know, fuel people like us. Um, yeah. I'll stop well, there. But I got to say, I love hearing that because if we ever do sell, and it's, it's a big F. It would take something staggering for me to step off of, of, you know, the risk well train and go somewhere else. But the kind of deal that I would accept is what you just described, where you still have skin in the game, where your earnout is predicated on the continued success of your team and of the book that you spent so many years building. And, and let's be honest, the client relationships, the people on the other end of that policy that are calling you asking for help. If you don't really, truly, personally, viscerally care about that client, man, I don't know what to tell you. You're in the wrong industry and you might be a sociopath uh, because that's, at the end of the day, the client really is what this is all about, that we have the privilege of helping someone through what is likely one of their worst days. Because if you think about it, you pull everything back in this whole conversation, if we reduce it to just the bare principles of the thing, somebody has a terrible day in their future. It might be a lawsuit, a house fire, a bad car accident, uh, uh, an employee gets injured, something terrible is going to happen to our client. And we get to help them make it slightly less terrible. We get to help them put it back together faster to get back to some version of normal faster. So I would think in anything that you guys do from a business perspective, one of your primary concerns is, hey, are these people that have trusted us uh, with their in insurance and, and risk management, are they going to be well taken care of by this, this new company? Is Hilb going to take care of them with the same level of intensity that GNN would take care of them? You know, I'll take a different angle just for the kick of it. Because um, what I know I was thinking of, and I know Matt was in the same light, what's going to happen to our team? Like that was our, our biggest focus. And what I would yep. warn people about who are looking to sell or thinking about or having conversations is if you think insurance marketers like the, you know, name a company here, Safeco, Plymouth Rock, or, you know, big companies, whatever. Uh, if you think they're good at marketing, like you haven't seen a 
marketing yet until you go to the much, much, much larger aggregators of sorts and they come in and they talk to you about what's going to go on because there are some people who make life seem really rosy and really good and, and, and they're selling their company because they're making a big sales pitch. Um, and I'm not saying they're lying, but they're selling. They're, they're doing that. So Matt and I really had to think about like what happens to our team after? What happens to us after? And then after all that, it was the clients because yeah. we were pretty sure we weren't going to mess that up. We were pretty sure that our clients were going to stay in the same policies. No one's going to buy GNN and then say, great, all of you are moving to Aon or something. It's not going to be like dramatic. But yeah. our team, I know when Matt and I, when I go back to those conversations Matt and I had, that was the biggest concern. Are we going to get a left hook right when we join and they say, great, we don't need the sales department anymore or something, uh, hmm. or your pay's cut in half. You know, you know that was a worry. And James, I'll add to that, I think a lot of people when they hear PE world, PE backed, you know, firms, uh, you know, bells go off, red flags go up and oh, yeah. you know, oh, that's the, they're the danger. That's bad, bad business. And we, we felt that way too initially. And then, you know, as we went further throughout the process, like all our non-negotiables were on the, well, on the page. And if we started with 15 potential buyers and we ended at three, the only three were PE backed roll up strategies because they were so lean on the corporate level that they would really allow us to continue to maintain control over our people and our process, which was really what, what Zach's getting to. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, yeah, the deal structures were really important, all that stuff. But, you know, did, did you want to just become another thing yeah. and, and, a, and a cog in another wheel, right? Or do you want to operate in some some form of what you have been and have some control? And you're never going to be full control and full independence. And that's a, a big reason why we weren't as loud the last two years because it's not GNN anymore. But yeah. can you still control how your people and your processes run? And that was that was non-negotiable for us. So a lot of the companies that were at the table, they might have had the same, if not better, financial offers. But they did not have post-transaction lifestyle uh, mm. offers that were even worth considering. You know, I really love hearing that feedback from you guys because I got to admit a certain amount of naivety on my part is when I think about my team and I think about a potential future sale. And again, this is naive of me, of course, because I've never been through one of these. I just think of it as an assumption that whatever happens with me if you're going to buy risk well, then you have to promise me you're leaving my team alone and everybody who's here gets to keep doing what they're doing or else we're not going to have that conversation. So obviously I see the look on Zach's face of going, oh, you're so cute. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just, oh, I mean, oh, James, you're so ignorant about the whole thing and how it works. That's adorable, James. Those sentiments are so about, nice. Like the, <laughs> the people, risk well is cute. GNN's cute. These companies yeah. are like thousands of times our size. Mm -hmm. And with that... Um, comes C-suite and with that comes PE bad companies and they have yep. to think they know how to operate your company a little bit better than you do mm -hmm. um, just because they have to turn their own profit. I mean, yep. for them, just to be clear to everyone listening, and I don't want to drone on about this for hours, but if they buy your company and you leave, that's awful for them. That is like the worst case scenario for them um, yep. because yes, you're a highly paid individual, but you still are the brand of the, yep. your clients and your team. So they yep. really don't want you to leave. That's really true and good. You just got to, like you said, make sure your team is protected too. And I'm, I'm not trying to say that these companies out there are going to say your team is fired, but I would say to get it in writing. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, and like like I said, that is as a definite thing for me to hear, even as the host of the show. So I, hopefully, Freedom Jumpers out there, you're double clicking on that one because I just took it as an assumption that if I ever sell, I'm you know my team is going to be well prepared for whatever happens. But mm. you know, there's I imagine there's lots of suitors out there that would uh, you know buy risk well and then chop shop the next day, and that's not what anybody wants. So. Right, right. Everyone's going to handle it differently based on what their goals are and what the structure is internally. So you guys could finish this thing up and land the plane in a thousand different ways. Uh, it's about that time. Uh, what have we not talked about? You're like, hey, you know what? We should really talk about X uh, when we're going on with Jenkins or Agency Freedom or whatever. Maybe you guys didn't give it the slightest bit of thought. You just thought it was going to be a nice little conversation, which it's definitely turned out to be. Uh, anything you want to hit on before we leave and land the plane? Wait, we're we're on the air? <laughs> oh, yeah. We started recording 51 minutes ago. Man, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I thought this was you. like the precursor, like the conversation before the start of the podcast. I thought we were just gearing up. Oh, man. I, uh, I'm so embarrassed now. I, I really should have uh, said that more explicitly. You know, Zach and I were actually recording before you got here, and he That's was true. trashing you left and right, man. But no, I'm obviously kidding about that part. Um, but yeah, it's... We're, we're right here at the end. Hey, what else do you guys want to bring in before we land the plane? There was limited preparation in terms of like agendas because we knew it was, you know, you're, you're running the show and you're mm -hmm. getting asked the questions. And oh, so yeah. there was, um, I, I would say just in general, like non-GNN, non-Matt and Zach, no, just, just more like independent in, in kind of playing to, to your, um, you know, the value proposition you're offering with your podcast and your consulting and sort of the direction of the industry, I'd, I'd say it's a, we're really optimistic about the future of the independent channel. And uh, you don't have to go far, you just follow the money. And that's typically going to tell you a lot. You know, five, six, seven years ago, all the VC funds and tons of the investment was going towards the hippos and lemonades and roots and metro miles. And um, that hasn't turned out as well as they had hoped. Uh, <laughs> As we, as most of us know, oh, and and so what's happening is there's still there's still the same amount, if not more, money that's just being poured more into the enablement companies that are serving our industry, our independent side, yep. as well as independent, you know, uh, you know more insure tech carriers or MGAs that distribute through independent channel, and so. I think there's a lot of opportunity in, in our space, either on the tech side for just being an independent agent in general, leveraging the solutions that are going to be out there. Mm -hmm. I do think that the distribution model is going to slightly shift. Um, you know, I think personal lines and small small business uh, is going to become a more and more embedded solution in terms of other things that you purchase, whether it's mortgages and houses and cars and, uh, you know, point of sale systems and all those companies are now figuring out how we can start to benefit from insurance as well. And, and once uh, company, uh, you know, software solutions get really, really good at that, I think that distribution and uh, the referral relationship based thing will always be an opportunity to grow. It just won't be as uh, plentiful as what, you know, and opportunistic as it might've been in the past. So, you know, small to mid to mid or mid to large commercial, I think is a huge opportunity. And if you are, an independent agent that's able to facilitate that distribution, that new distribution model, and be able to connect your the carriers or or solutions with the point of sales and the other opportunity. I think there's a massive opportunity to be the connector there. Hmm. Um, Maddie just landed like a Boeing seven eighty seven with like a nineteen hour flight. I'm gonna land a little Cessna. Like uh, I'll just I'll, I'll do it a smaller one. But I agree with I'm nodding my head the entire time as Matt's speaking. I would say if you're an agency owner, like listening to this or 
someone in the insurance industry, if you can't answer like why you, meaning like why would someone insure with you and your agency, you don't have a business. Like you don't have much to talk about. And I think Matt and I obsessed over that for so long. And I know Matt and I were one of the most, you know, you, you closed doors by Matt and I in, in, in business owner land from 2010 to 2016. We perfected that answer. We spent hours and hours and hours, so many times, Matt and I, deep diving into why the heck would someone insure with GNM? And if you start going down the path of like, we're the best at serving the policy, or we're always there when we file claims, or we're on Main Street, or yada, yada, yada. Like you literally don't have a business because you're replaceable by all the companies Matt just referenced. But if you can really like just hone that in as to like, why the heck would someone choose you and what makes you different? Why you? Life's fun. Mm. Business is really fun. Why you? That's a great question to leave with for the listener. If you don't already have the answer for that, well, you really should. If you're going to be in the marketplace, you need to be able to tell people that cohesively. And uh, I'll give you a hint to use uh, some stuff from uh, Marcus Sheridan. They ask you answer that great book. If you're talking about yourself in the why you, you're probably doing it wrong. Uh, Matt, I got to say, I could not ask for a better uh, promo for an up- upcoming episode because I will be um, trying to make sure I get his, his last name right. Pat Mulroy, who's the head of distribution uh, at Tarmica, uh, he and I are going to have a full conversation on embedded insurance. And uh, Raghav Tana, I know is, you know, you guys are um, well familiar with, with Tarmica for sure. Um, uh, but Raghav and I were having a conversation about um, embedded and he said you need to talk to my boy Pat over here and a full hour of nothing but embedded and talking about the future of what that looks like is I, I think we the three of us would definitely agree the average retail agent is 100% unprepared for the tidal wave uh, that is coming their way where these prospects won't even reach their office they will be taken off the playing field before they ever get to a retail independent agent uh, and that it's, for- it, and it's not the consumer's like um, prerogative. It's simply that it's easier for them to do it all at once, and they're always going to default to easy in the transaction that's really important to them, which is yep. their house, their car, their business, their whatever. So yeah, Pat's a great guy and a great guy to 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 connect with, and definitely going to be a fun conversation. We'll listen into. Awesome. Well, folks, I think that is a natural stopping point for this episode. I'll make sure I say your names right again. Zach Gould and Matt Namoli, again, uh, the former uh, principals of GNN, now part of the Hilb Group, and uh, former Babylon celebrities. Uh, may, may they always be so. Uh, guys, this is wonderful. I really appreciate you making time out of your busy schedule to hop on with us. And uh, that's it for this episode, boys and girls. Make it a great day. We will talk to you again real soon. Y'all take care. Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite podcasting platform to get automatic updates on every new episode and help other people find us organically. If you like the content you hear, please drop us a quick review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share Agency Freedom with someone you know who is still on the captive side of the insurance world. They'll thank you later. You can connect with other Freedom Jumpers, ask questions, get advice, and share your best practices in our Facebook group. Just type Agency Freedom Podcast in the search bar. 
Visit our website at agencyfreedompodcast.com to sign up for our email list and get access to exclusive resources and sign up to be a potential future guest on the show. We welcome your comments, feedback, and ideas. Email podcast at riskwell.com and we'll look forward to hearing from you. Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help our listeners go from captive to indie to market domination. Until next time, let's go.